Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. Oh, nice. It's good to be with you here in Auditorium One. And welcome to those across the way. They're in Auditorium Two. And if you're joining us online, then a special welcome to you as well. Now, if you're new to Fellowship Greenville, we are glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. But I do want you to know this Sunday is going to be a little bit different than a typical Sunday morning. Normally, we're studying our way through whole books of the Bible. And in two weeks, I want you guys to all know, in two weeks, we'll be starting our series in Ephesians. So be looking forward to that. But this Sunday, this Sunday special, every year around this time, we set aside one Sunday to focus on and celebrate the next generation. And for those of you who have been here for a while, you know as a, I serve as the executive pastor, but I also serve as the next gen pastor which has now answered the burning question in the back of your mind of why is Rob up here this morning? I've avoided this for 14 years. I thought I was gonna avoid it altogether, but I didn't. That's okay. We celebrate the Next Gen Sunday strategically in August because, and if you're a family, you know this, our families are about ready to shift gears as their kids go back to school. They're all going into new grades, some of them new schools, but definitely new routines. This is also a time when our church begins to launch into kind of our new ministry year. This is when it happens. So this is kind of a natural transition time for us. My family experienced this transition on Thursday when my wife Sherry and I moved our youngest son Kyle into his dorm room at Anderson University where he's gonna start his freshman year. Look at the smiles on our faces. We, we got him the unlimited food plan. That school was about ready to lose some money. I'm just going to tell you right now. So our nest is slowly emptying. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? Thank you. So this morning is Next Gen Sunday, and I want to talk about our involvement in the next generation and what that looks like. Now, that's going to sound, it may sound like to you, kind of a, a parent message only, but it's not. I believe that God is calling all of us to consider the next generation. So when I say our involvement, I mean all of us. I mean me and you. So I've got three things, just three things that I want you to know as we consider the next generation. So here's the first thing I want you to know. The first is the next generation is not hopeless. The next generation is not hopeless. Now, this generation is unique and it definitely has some different challenges that can sometimes make this seem hard to understand or difficult, difficult to relate to. I personally do not understand TikTok or most of the social media things. You're, you're probably with me on this. But what I wanna do is I kinda wanna bridge the gap and show you that in many ways, every generation has some things in common. And maybe, just maybe, if I can show you that we have some things in common with this generation, it'll be easier for you to relate to them. All right, you guys ready? I got two. The first one's really simple. This is a really basic one. Here's the, the first one. Every generation thinks that their generation is the best. Have you noticed that? Every generation thinks their generation is the best. Think about it, you think that. Every generation sees themselves as more advanced than the previous generation, yet not as lost as the generations that are gonna follow. My generation, we respect the generation that, we, that we, was before us, but we know we're more advanced than they are. Well, see, our young people are no different. When my kids 
hear stories that start with, now remember, there were no cell phones or the internet. They aren't impressed. They're not impressed with that. They just can't understand how we even functioned back then, right? So see, we have something in common. Every generation thinks theirs is the best. Here's something else that all generations have in common. Every generation has unique values, a language, taste in music, clothing, and hairstyles that the previous generations don't get, right? They all do. Okay, how many of you remember your parents being frustrated at the clothes you wore or your hairstyles or the music you listened to? When y'all are lying if you don't raise your hand right now because we all experience it at some level, right? It's not just this generation with their neon colored hair. It's not that. What about, what about mullets? What, what about beehives? Remember, remember that hairdo? Uh, parachute pants. Disco music. No, disco music. Now, I, I, I should have had pictures of those things. See, I could go on and on, but I don't think I really need to say more about that. See, maybe we have more in common with this next generation than we thought. All these things, they don't make the next generation lost and hopeless. I mean, they make them just like my generation and your generation, just unique. That's all it makes them. So know this, if your generation turned out not to be hopeless, even though your parents and grandparents thought you were, then this generation isn't hopeless either. So we can't declare the next generation as hopeless and then just quit on them. I mean, most of the people that you saw leading worship this morning were our students. And wasn't it awesome? Yeah, it was. So I'm gonna say it again. We cannot declare the next generation as hopeless and quit on them. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Influencing the next generation will take an investment, but they're worth it. It's gonna take an investment, but they're worth it. So let me tell you this story. Around April of this last year, over dinner, my son Kyle, who you saw, as he's known to do, he threw out this idea. And it usually starts with, hey dad. Now, one of his hey dad ideas was for he and I to hike the Art Lobe Trail, which I said, sure, and then later found out it's like 30 miles long and North Carolina's most difficult trail. So make sure you get all the facts before you say yes. But in this case, over dinner, he says, hey dad, let's get up in the morning and make a big breakfast on the Blackstone Grill. Oh, well, I love breakfast. So I said, sure, let's do that. I said, now, but we will have to get up early so I can still get to work on time. And I thought playing the get up early card might change his mind, but it didn't. So the next morning we were up cooking fried eggs and bacon and hash browns and pancakes on the grill. It was wonderful, look, doesn't that look awesome? Are you guys hungry yet? Yeah, you should be. It was awesome. And while we were cooking away, an idea popped in my head and I wonder where he gets it. And I need you to know, before my selfishness and my sensibility, before my selfishness and sensibility could stop me, I said, if we cook breakfast like this every Wednesday morning, I said, how many guys could you get to come here for breakfast in a Bible study? 
He turned and looked at me with a serious look on his face and he said, how many do you want? Well, this gave birth to breakfast and Bible study where six to nine high school guys showed up at my house at 6.30 every Wednesday morning for over two months. It wasn't hard. Each morning we would just read through a section of Ephesians. That's what we were studying. And I asked them some open-ended questions and I just let them talk. Most of these guys were getting ready to graduate from high school and they had some pretty heavy things weighing in their minds as they contemplated their futures. And the next thing I would do, I would just ask them like, hey man, is there anything I can pray for you guys? And they did not hold back. Man, they told me all kinds of things. And honestly, that morning, I would just pray for those things out loud with those guys and I would leave them sitting there at the table and I would go get dressed and get ready for work. Now, inviting guys into my house like this was not a new idea. What you need to understand is that 37 years ago, a guy named Lloyd Hamilton invited me and four of my friends to his house once a week for breakfast and Bible study before school. See, I was only doing what was modeled and had been done for me by the generation before me. After the first Wednesday morning with Kyle and his friends, I had sent Lloyd a, a text message. And this is what I said. I said, I had a bunch of high school guys over this morning at 6.30 for breakfast and Bible study. What I said is, I pray that my investment in them has as much impact on them as yours had on me. Thanks, brother. Lloyd responded a little bit later to my text and this is what he said, that's awesome. He said, I pray one day you'll get a text like this from one of those guys so you'll know how encouraging it is. Do you see how simple the investment is? Do you see why this generation, this next generation is worth it? Lloyd Hamilton's investment in me 37 years ago spilled over into guys that he's never gonna meet or know. This next generation is worth it because an investment in the next generation produces dividends that extend beyond what we can see. Let me say it again. An investment in this next generation produces dividends that extend beyond what we can see. So here's the third thing I want you to know from our time this morning, it's this. This is probably the most important. The next generation is our responsibility. The next generation is our responsibility. See, it's God's design that the older generations would disciple and instruct younger generations. If you have a Bible, what I want you to do is turn to Joshua chapter four. So if you have a Bible or your phone or whatever it is, turn to Joshua chapter four. And as you're turning there, let me give you some framework on what's happening in these verses before we look closer at it. So after being rescued from Egypt and wandering in the desert for 40 years, the Israelites are now about to enter the land that God had promised with them, with Joshua now leading them because Moses has died by now. But to do this, they must cross the Jordan River. So God instructs them to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the river where he miraculously holds back the water so that the whole nation of Israel crosses over on dry ground to the other side. Now, you probably quickly realize this sounds very similar to what God did when he parted the Red Sea so that the people could escape Pharaoh and his army. It's just that 
most of the people in that generation who had witnessed it were dead by then. You see the importance? God tells Joshua to have one man from each tribe take a stone from the middle of the river and place it on his shoulder and carry it to the place that they were in a camp that night, which is where we are now. Look at what Joshua tells them, Joshua tells them to do next. So I wanna read Joshua 4, 19 through 24. So I'm starting in verse 19. He says, now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those 12 stones, which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. This is what he says. He said, he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. When Joshua says, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, He's referring to generations that will follow because he understood that the responsibility of the current generation is to pass on instruction and knowledge of God to the next generation. And when you read what Israel will face in the years to come, it's easy to understand how critical this investment was. Now notice that it goes even further than that. It's through this generational investment that all the people, this is what it says, all the people of the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, everyone around them, and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So we need to understand the real hope of the world is Jesus and the work of Jesus has not been fully accomplished currently. Meaning somebody's gonna have to take up the mantle once this current generation is gone. So here's the thing, if we're aware that the work of the gospel must continue long after we're gone, then we must also be aware that the work cannot stop with us. We need to know our generation is not the ultimate fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes in this world. It's not done yet. There's still so much to do. And therefore we must not only look at our roles in the work. Sometimes as our generations, we focus on the work, our role in the work but we also need to focus on our roles in preparing the next generation for the work. And let's be honest, when we look to the future at what our kids and grandkids will face, it's easy to understand how critical our investment in the next generation is, isn't it? So what do you need to do to make this investment happen? What's it gonna look like? How do you start? I've got two things, two suggestions for you. The first one is this, you have to give them something to ask about. See the stones that they pulled from the river weren't little tiny rocks. Like it wasn't like they carried it in their hand. They were significant in size. They were large enough that they had to carry them on their shoulders. Think about river rocks, man. They're smooth, right? They've been worn smooth. So these large smooth stones piled in a circle, vastly different from their surroundings would beg the question, What's up with these stones? See that their kids, when their kids and their future generations would see it, they'd go, 
okay, what's up with the stones? The next generation needs to see something foundationally different in us than our surroundings that begs a question from them and we need to be present to answer those questions. Yeah, we have to understand our generation, we are God's memorial stones. Here's a second thing I need you to know. You need to take the initiative. You need to take the initiative. Don't wait to be asked. If you throw it out there, they'll respond. Don't wait until somebody comes taps you on the shoulder. Spend time with the next generation. Don't wait for them to come to you. Share stories with them. Help them apply what you know to what they will face. Think about it. I can't go back to my parents and ask them, what boundaries did you put for me when I was a, had a phone when I was young? That I couldn't even go back and ask them, how did you get me to stay in a car seat? Because I wasn't in a car seat. I was free to roam around on the back seat, right? Our kids are gonna face things that we don't even know. Just like the generations of God's people in the Bible. Here's another way you can make an impact in the next generation is through what happens here on a Sunday morning. If you aren't serving somewhere on a Sunday morning, invest in the next generation by volunteer, volunteering in FG Kids or FG Students. I want you to know, next Sunday, here's my plug, next Sunday, we're having a Next Gen Leader launch. And that's a place where you can hear ways that you can get involved. You can help you figure out places where you can invest. So I wanna encourage you, plan to be here next Sunday at four o'clock for this Next Gen Leader launch. And I already know what's going on here at four o'clock in the afternoon, I'll probably be snapping on the couch by then. No, come on, we gotta step into it. What you can do is you can go to our website and register for the event. You can scan the little QR code. If you don't know how to do that, get somebody younger next to you to show you how to scan the QR code. It's all right. You can even go to Next Steps after this. My wife is working out there this morning. I am sure they will glad you, gladly show you how to get registered for that event. I will guarantee you this. I will guarantee you this. You won't regret it. Now this morning, and they did such a great job. They followed my lead to tell them what time to be up there. We brought some people that I want to get a chance to share that I think will give us some insights. We're gonna do a little panel discussion. Let me move up there. Hey guys. Hey, good morning. Hello, hello. Good morning. Hi, it's like being in school again. Good morning. During this transition, I would just like to say for only doing this once every 14 years, you did a fantastic Thank job. You, you should sir. do it more often. I no. <laughs> Uh, At you. least like once a decade or something. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do once a decade. Thank Sounds you. Good. It was really great. Um, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell your kids and how old they are. Sure. So uh, I'm Dallas Greenaway. I'm our middle school pastor here. Yes, we have one of those. And uh, my, I have two boys. Owen is our oldest. He just turned four this past Monday. So we had a little birthday party for him yesterday. And then Samuel will be two in October. So we're in the potty training phase with him. Maybe a little early for some of you. It sounds about right time for me. Hi, I'm Melanie Granger. I'm the FG Kids Director. Um, tomorrow, my husband and I will be married 14 years. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and we have a son, Landon, who is 11, and he is going into sixth grade this week. Uh, my name is Jason Malone. I just got here. And yes, uh, from what I understand, uh, vision and spiritual formation pastor. 
married for 21 years, and I have two daughters, uh, one who is 16, Caroline, and one who is 12, Kate. So junior in high school and seventh grader. Nice. So if you can tell, we've kind of got every age group represented. Dallas has kind of got the little littles. Mel's got the preteen. You've got middle school, high school. And I have five kids that range from 16 to 24. So I've got a little bit of high school and on past that. So we represent somebody, right? Like parents that are in our phase of life. So I think there's some things to be learned by that. So here's my first question. And so parents, like when you're thinking about, man, what's it look like for me to disciple my kids? What are some ways that you guys have discipled your kids for your kids' age? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. So again, four-year-old and two-year-old, um, I've just wrote down three things that I feel like we, we at least tried to do. The first one would be modeling, uh, specifically modeling God's character. So just his love, his grace, um, his forgiveness. And so some of that, honestly, can just be accomplished simply by putting our phones away. Sometimes that's like the best way to just be present, just engage, embrace our kids. Um, especially this forgiveness one, I think is one that we're trying to practice while they're young, uh, maybe so we get into a good habit of it, but not just encouraging them to forgive one another when they get into fights, uh, but also me and my wife going to them and asking, hey buddy, and, and even for Samuel, our two-year-old, like we know he doesn't get it, but just trying to model that for him. Owen is four and he's starting to get, okay, mom and dad, they make mistakes, but they, they circle back and they ask for forgiveness on those. So uh, the next one would be uh, our own sort of breakfast and Bible, like Rob has. Uh, kind of adopted this from some friends, the Milbys, and we basically uh, would get together on Saturdays and we watch with our, our kids, we watch this show on YouTube called Bible Adventure. It's got a really fun jingle to it, and it's just you know a short, maybe 20 minute episode. And then we'll talk about what we, what we saw and, uh, and eat breakfast while we do it. So it's a whole lot of fun. And even for our four-year-old, he's starting to ask questions. You know, he's in the why, why, why phase. And so why, why is Jesus on the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? Those are not uncommon questions. And then we just track down all the whys until he stops asking or we get tired, basically. <laughs> so yeah, not uncommon. So, but that, that's been really easy for us. And then admittedly though, we, we haven't done it we haven't done it consistently in this past season. I think I have to be honest about that. We did it for like a year and a half, just about every Saturday in this season has just been, we're all over the place. And so we don't always do these things perfectly, but, uh, but that's really fun when we do. And then other people just being a part of our boys' lives, even this early on, some families who have invited us into their life and we're like, yeah, you're awesome, so we'll, we'll do that. And other families that maybe we've intentionally asked, hey, can we spend more time together? But just that our boys are, are around other people who are uh, showing God's character, being the hands and feet of Jesus, just loving our boys really, really well. And, and also some of the, those other people are honestly students, working with our middle schoolers and high schoolers. Our boys are around a lot of our students and so seeing Seeing those students love our boys well uh, really makes my heart warm, and I think it helps our kids see these people who are, you know, a few years older still, but they have somebody to look up to as a little closer down the path. Yeah, so your stage is very much got to be present, invested all the time. You're on the floor with them. Like, it's, you got to be there in the midst of it, right? Yeah, I'm five foot two and a half, so it's not That's like not too difficult for me to yeah. be. I'm right there all the time I anyway. Got you. Yeah. I got you. But yes, for some people, <laughs> maybe not. That was easy. fantastic. Yeah. And I just want to acknowledge it. Like, that was a really good joke. Thank you, You brother. did great. Thank you did you. great with Very it. Very nice. I'm going to write that down. We'll use that third service. <laughs> There's not a third service. Yeah, Mel, what about, what, what about you, Mel? 
Um, I wrote down three points as well. Um, so my son's going into sixth grade, and so um, we just want to be really intentional with the times that we do have with him since he is growing and doing many different activities. So there's three things um, during the day that we know we have each day, and that's our drive time, our dinner time, and our bedtime. And so drive time, he's a captive audience. So we get to have a lot of conversations. He's in the back seat, and um, maybe that gives him um, more of a, a comfortable t telling me things because we're not face-to-face. -face. Um, at dinner time, as a family, after we um, eat our food, we, we stay around the dinner table, we talk about our day, and we play games because I think it's really important to say it's not that I'm, I'm telling you about Jesus all the time, but we're having fun together as a family. And then bedtime, um, we all pile up in his room and we do the chapter from the CBR together. Uh, and we just ask questions of, of what, does, what do you think God is, is saying to you? And we, we share that. What do you think God wants us to do? Those kind of things. Second, um, we give him space to ask questions. So he's gone through this big transitional time of who is he? Who does God say he is? Who does... Um, you know, middle schooler, who does the world say I am and how, who does the, what does the world say I should be? So really kind of just give him the space to struggle and to really like seek out um, his faith. Uh, and when he was younger, um, I was standing in his doorway of his room and he, he said, I don't remember what you're talking about, but he stopped and he said, mom, you always talk about Jesus. And me, I'm like, woo, go me. Yeah. Super humble, right? But then it, it, it gave me pause because I realized I need to step, take a step back and don't just preach at him, but give him space to really wrestle. And to me, that's seeking. And the Bible says, if you seek God, you will find him. So I know there's a promise that, um, my, that God is pursuing my son's heart. So, and then third, share my personal faith. I think a lot of us, when we think of personal faith, we think private, like mm -hmm. behind closed door. And so especially this past year with him getting older and us having deeper conversations, it's, I've had an opportunity to share my doubts and my, my unbeliefs, and that's been a really great conversation starters while he's trying to figure out what does he believe and why does he believe it. Mm. I always thought about when you said this, is for parents, a lot of times, I would imagine you've probably shared the story about when you and your spouse met, like the time we met in our first date, but have you ever shared with them how you came to faith in Jesus? Have you ever shared that story of when you, when you made a faith decision? Because they, they need to hear that, so it's good. Jason, what about you? Yeah, it's interesting. We were up here during the first service and we did not uh, share our answers before walking onto the stage. And it's interesting to hear with one another. So it's just interesting to hear the overlap no matter, no matter the age. Like there is something to be said for intentionality. That's what mm -hmm. the two of them have talked about. You want to be intentional. I think as parents, we have to be honest as to whether or not we are. Like there needs to be an honest conversation between you and the Lord around whether or not you're being intentional with your kids. That if you're married, that's about, you know, conversations with you and your spouse as well about whether or not you're being intentional. And then the modeling piece, that doesn't change from little to teenager. Mm. Uh, so much of it is caught and not just taught. Do we teach? Yeah, there's teaching, but all of us that are parents are doing certain things and not doing certain things based on the observation of our parents being the kids of our parents. Like we saw things that we go, okay, I want to model that, and I don't think I, I, don't think I want to model that. 
And from my own experience, from my wife and I, I've wanted to model certain things that I saw you know, with my mom and dad. I think sometimes we be honest, we're having this kind of conversation and you look up here on the stage and it's pastors and staff and this is what you do. And so sure, you're really excited about this, but my dad worked on the railroad for 30 years and my mom was a school teacher. And um, I can't recall a day that I walked out of my bedroom to get ready for school where I did not see my mom sitting in the living room at five something in the morning with a singular lamp on and her Bible open, reading it. I don't recall a time. And I, I pray that that will have been modeled for my girls, not because I'm a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus who wants to model what I desire for them. And when they get to be teenagers and you begin to hear them on their own articulate I'm going to go up and have my quiet time. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, great. Like you want to spur that on. Or this morning even, I got in my truck to drive to church and hit the Spotify playlist, and I saw a new one that I didn't recognize, obviously that my 16-year-old daughter had created. And I hit it, and the title popped up, and it said, Worship to Remind Me Who I Belong To. Okay, well, that's a win. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm thankful for what the Lord's doing in their life. The other piece would be, and this is my mom and dad both, it was this commitment to prioritize, uh, prioritize putting us in environments with what they cared about and wanted to champion in our lives was also cared about and championed. Mm -hmm. You know, there was never uh, a conversation, I don't ever recall a conversation on a Saturday night about whether or not we were going to church the next day. I mean, it was, this is, we prioritize that as family. And even my dad, I talk about the railroad. He, he worked on Sundays for most of my childhood. And my mom would faithfully get up with us three little ones and off we would go. And then in the evenings, we would worship together as a family. And so just those things, like we're gonna, we're gonna prioritize putting you in environments with where we, what we care about, what we wanna champion in your life for the gospel. Other people are also gonna speak that into your life. I think that's pretty valuable. Man, that's great. I want to come back to the caught more than taught thing, but one of the things that we did as a family, and I'm not sure, I mean, Sherry may say this was strategic, but dinner time became very, very important to us. I think, I, I, I think it was meaning like we were going to have dinner and we were going to stay around the table for a period of time. I think it was because it took like Sherry 40 minutes to make dinner and then they would snarf it down in 15 minutes and wanna leave. And she was like, no, we're gonna at least stay here as long as it took me to make dinner. And so we would stay around the table. I remember the first couple of times around the table, we were like, we're gonna, you can't get up. We're gonna stay here. And well, what are we gonna do? Well, we're gonna talk. Well, there's nothing to talk about. This is so stupid. And we're like, I don't care. We're gonna stay here. And, and that has, Reap, I mean, I can't tell you the rewards that's reaped because now as adults, they, more, they want to stay around the table and have a conversation. Our mealtime takes a long time, but it's sweet because we get a chance to talk to them and hear from them and speak into their lives and them speak into our lives too. So let's go back to the caught is taught because this is an important concept. So I've talked to parents, particularly dads for many years and they would say, ah, oh, man, I don't know how to disciple my kids. Like, I just don't know, I don't know what that looks like. And so I had this, this idea in my mind. I was like, I do think dads, but parents in general know how to disciple their kids because 
I see a guy who the dad is this extreme Clemson fan and somehow his son or daughter is also a Clemson fan. And are your girls, are they Gamecock and Atlanta Braves fans? Yeah, because part of discipleship is helping them deal with suffering. And so <laughs> I, uh, I, want, <laughs> I wanted to teach them that. And so I chose the teams yeah, that I chose. They've learned a lot. They've, it's, it's an important concept. That might be where that Spotify worship playlist came from <laughs> on Sunday mornings after a Saturday of football. Worship to remind me who I belong to. Amen? It, it, Amen. Amen. So, so here's my thing is, what if, I had this idea, what if some of the same concepts and principles you use to disciple your kids to be Gamecock fans or Atlanta Braves fans or Buckeyes fans, what if those same concepts were the same concepts you use to disciple your kids in faith? Because I think there's some similarities. So, this little plug, shameless plug. So Matt Densky and I recorded a five series podcast called Parenting for a Change that jumps into five principles that we think are the same that you use for discipling your kids in sports metaphors and, and things as you do in faith. So be looking for that. Now I wanna switch gears because we've been talking a lot about parenting right now, but I wanna talk about how do you just engage the next generation? Because we're not all, you know, have kids in our house nowadays. So what does it look like to engage your child at the age that they're at? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, and other, you mean other people engaging our children? Yeah, like what does that look like? What's it take to engage your kids? Yeah, I mean, so mine are four and two, and I think it's kind of what we jokingly ended on uh, earlier, but it, it is just, like when we bring our, our kids on a Sunday morning and put them in, in nursery or preschool, uh, it's just loving them, and it's being there with them, and it's uh, changing my son Samuel's diapers, at least, and that's the past Samuel. Now there's a new Samuel in his, in his big boy undies, but... Uh, yeah, I think just being with them, engaging with them, being willing to run down all the why questions and just kind of see where it leads. Uh, yeah, I think that it's maybe a, a little simpler than we make it sometimes. I think one of the most important phrases I have ever been told, even for middle and high school, uh, but I think especially for these younger kids, is they're not always gonna remember what you said, but they're gonna remember how you made them feel. And I think especially at that age, my four-year-old's not gonna remember what you said, uh, but he doesn't remember what I say, so that's not on you. But, uh, but they're definitely gonna remember being loved by people at the church. And, and as you do that, uh, I know it kind of sounds silly, but as you change diapers and as you love kids and just get on the ground and play with them, that's, that's kingdom work right there. That's, that's serving, that's being the, the hands and feet of Jesus, even playing with with little kids. We were joking beforehand, uh, but I think the new, the new phrase is every time a, a diaper's changed, an angel gets its wings. Yes. So remember that. What about preteen, man? Um, I agree with Dallas. It's about love. Um, if we want the truth to matter to our kids and to the next generation, then we got to show them that they matter to us. Uh, relationships are so big. Getting, getting to know who the kids are, what, what the world they live in, what's um, the challenges that they face every day, um, and just loving them and accepting them and welcoming them and saying, we're so glad you're here because our kids are so smart. They know if you're here out of obligation or you're here out of love. So we, all of our lessons, we say that there's just words on a page without the relationship. So it's really about taking a preteen, a middle school, a preschooler, um, a, a student and saying, we're so glad you're here and I wanna, and I love you. 
and then they will be open to hear the truth and love of the gospel. I, uh, I stepped foot into Fellowship Greenville as a sixth grader. It was my first time here. And uh, I remember the first uh, Sunday school youth group environment that I walked into. And Brian Woodard and Kevin Jolliffe and Doug Whitley were all men that began to invest in me as a sixth grader. Years later, the Lord would open up the door for me to be student ministry pastor here for about a decade. And I can't take all the time to name all of the adults, some of you who are still sitting here today, 15 years later, that invested uh, in teenagers. I was even thinking about this, the process I've been in over the last year with some meetings here and stepping into the elder room here at Fellowship Greenville and looking around the table at the men that sit around that table as elders and going, he was a youth leader when I was here. He was a youth leader when I was here. He was a youth leader when I was here. He was and still is serving in the children's ministry here. And it's just a testament, I think, to people's willingness to invest. And so now here I am with teenagers and the number of people that have come alongside them to, we all experience it as parents, right? We'll say something to our kids and we hope they're getting it, but we're not sure they're getting it. And then somebody else <laughs> says the exact same thing that we've said. And your kid comes home and they're so excited. You're not gonna believe this, mom and dad, but I was talking with so-and-so and they said this. Can you believe how great that is? You're like, yeah, I've said it a gazillion times. Yeah. Thanks I've for listening. I've heard this somewhere before. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it is that opportunity to have other people that are speaking into your kids' lives that I am incredibly thankful for. And in a church here, the, the scope, the magnitude, the opportunity to mm -hmm. invest in that next generation. I mean, it's not just because we're on staff that we're saying this. If you, on a weekly or monthly basis, are dropping off little ones or your teenagers are coming in and there's a group of people who are investing in them and pointing them to Jesus, what an opportunity you also have to once a month or a couple of times a month to do the same for everybody else's kids mm -hmm. that are sitting, like you're sitting beside one another with an opportunity to invest. And even those of you who don't have kids in the ministry anymore, yet you're still faithfully serving in that next generation, there is something very powerful and sweet and biblical about it. Yeah. It's great. I, I would say for the kids that are my kids' age, so 16 to 24, you have to be willing to be present when they're willing to be present. Hmm. And you don't get to pick it. <laughs> it's, it's probably going to be 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. It's just, it just happens that way all the time. But I, I can tell you, because I experienced it, if you're willing to say like, hey, I would love to grab lunch or breakfast with you, they'll say yes. You think they won't, but they will. They'll say yes. The other thing you have to be willing to accept is it may be 37 years before you hear a thank you from that, right? That's just the way it is. Okay, what I wanna do is we're gonna, we wanna have a time of prayer for the people in our church and in our community that invest in the next generation. Let's do that. Yeah, Rob and I were talking and we thought, a great way to end the service today would be to pray for those of you who do serve faithfully around here in our ministry. And again, if you're newer or if the season is now right for you to be able to do that, you're going to get the opportunity to learn more about that next week. Uh, and then I was just thinking also of it's time for a new school year. 
And uh, my wife is a uh, school teacher, and I know so many of uh, others of you are in administration, faculty, staff, teachers, whatever the case may be. And so uh, the school year is, is begun for some of you. It's getting ready to begin for a lot of you. And so we wanted to pray for you as well. What if we did this? If you are involved in education in any way, pre-elementary, middle, high school, college, and that's faculty, staff, teacher, work at a school, whatever the case may be. Would you stand where you are if that's you? I know it's a little different. Just stand where you are because you might be surprised how many people around here actually do that. Wonderful. Stand where you are. Be good. We want to pray for you. If you serve in next-gen ministries in any way, shape, or form, once a month or several times a month, if you serve in any capacity in next-gen ministries, would you also stand and do this over an auditorium too as well? If you serve around here on a regular basis, just stand up where you are. Go ahead. Come on. If you serve in any capacity, okay? Great. I'm super thankful for you and what you do and your investment. All right. Now let's all stand together. And Rob is going to pray over those of you that are serving in our next-gen ministries and ask that the Lord would add to that number. And I'm going to pray for our teachers and whatnot as they, and faculty as they begin a new school year. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to gather with you, worship today, to be reminded of your grace, kindness, and faithfulness to us, to remember uh, names of people, moms and dads and others, who are intentional with us, that sanctification, life change, transformation is a process. Those that were patient with us and modeling for us what it meant to walk and grow in you, we're incredibly thankful. And we feel the, uh, the, the weight slash opportunity to be able to do that in the lives of others I pray specifically this morning for teachers, faculty, staff, administration as they launch into a new school year in a cultural moment that is filled with so much uh, frustration, aggravation, angst, worry. May these followers of yours be voices of hope, peace, wisdom, love, care and concern for those that you have entrusted to them for this school year? Would they step into their God-ordained circle of influence with boldness and humility? And may that shine through for your glory and your fame. Father, I also just want to thank you for this next generation and what you're already doing in and through them. It's powerful. Father, I pray for those people here in this church body who are already investing themselves by serving in FG Kids or FG students. Pray that you would give them wisdom and, and strength, patience and grace. And I pray that you'd also give them just a little bit of glimpse. Can you give them a glimpse now of what their investment is doing? Father, just give them strength. I pray that what we would see from this church is a powerful investment of the generations now into the next generation that would last a lifetime, that we would be memorial stones that people would point to and go, what's up with that? Lord, would you do that in and through us? And would you do it so that you'd be glorified? And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.